Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for Christ that we have our union in Him, everything in Him. Father, we need to understand that more deeply. We need to grasp that, embrace it. We need to live it out. Help us as we reflect on that even in this time together. We'd honor you. Thank you for the time together, for the truths of the Word. May we be guided by your Word, your Son, to you and to worship you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I don't know how I managed to get this session, but it's sort of neat. In baseball, I think, don't they call it the cleanup hitter, right? And they get the guy that's supposed to be able to knock them all home or something like that. And so uh, I'm not the heavy hitter, you know, like in baseball necessarily. My job in wrapping up today is to talk about the qualifications of a biblical counselor. And maybe I would start just this way to say, probably at this point in time, you've had six sessions. You've had a lot of material just thrown at you. A lot of stuff there. And you might be saying to yourself, wow, that's a lot to remember. That's a lot to take away. And in our last session, I I am going to give some material to you, but I really want to do this. I want to slow down a minute, and I really want to tie up some loose ends, if I may. I don't have this grand vision. We're going to tie up all the loose ends you have, all right? We're going to try just covering a couple of things just to send you out of here a little bit better, a little bit more, being able to get your arms around what this looks like for your life. We're going to do that through this topic, which is wonderful, and I'll come back and talk to you about what this means, but I want to tie up the loose ends in this way, and that's the qualifications of a biblical counselor. Let me just start by asking the relevant questions, just these questions there, and you saw some of these earlier, as I I don't know which one, maybe Kent went through it, are you qualified? The questions come up, can I trust you? That's what your counselors are saying when they sit across the desk. Can I really trust you? They're going to spill their guts. They're going to tell you their whole life story. And one of the questions they have to be asking themselves is, can I trust what you're going to say to me? Can I trust your heart is for me? Will you bear my burdens? You know, Ben talked about that compassion. We walk with him. Will they sense that you really... You may not understand their problems, but you really try to step into it and lean into it as much as you can. And they sense that you really are trying to track with them and their problems. They may be asking you, will you, tell, will you love me? Will you really love me? Will you really care about me and my problems? They may be asking some negative questions. They may say, will you listen to me? Will you care about me? Will you tell me the truth? They may ask this negative question, will you betray me? What are you going to do with this information? Where are you going to take it? Will you judge me? Let me just go back and leave those before you. All those questions are on their mind. They want to know, can I really trust you? They want to know, are you qualified to give me the help I desperately need? Do you have the heart? Do you have the truth? Do you have my best interest at heart? Do you really care enough to really get into the mess and to be there with me? What I'd like to do in this last time together is encourage you that you have had a bunch of information already. And how I'd like to organize our time together now and organize the last six sessions is to say I'd like you to sort of set aside what you've heard 
about what to do and what to study and encourage you, and we're going to go right there to the fact that you have the qualification Kent talked about that's necessary to being a qualified biblical counselor. Can you love people? Do you care about people? And I would venture to say the fact that you're here this weekend, you satisfied the requirement. The fact that you're, you have people in your life, like Mike said, that you talk to, you challenge, you care about, means you're qualified. And so what I'd like you to do is sort of pause a second as you say, I don't know if I can do this, all this stuff and all of it putting together. And I'd like to say, as we wrap up, the question is not whether you can do it and whether you have the information. My question for you as you think about this is not what you know, but who you are. And so as we talk about a qualified biblical counselor, I want to encourage you in being the person God calls you to be. In living out your identity in Christ to carry out these qualifications, these qualities that really all of us have to have, whether you're a counselor sitting across the table or whether you're a believer moving through life. You see, the goal of biblical counseling is just growing to be more like Christ. And we're going to talk about five qualifications or five qualities that are about being like Christ. See, the Scripture, it says in Luke 6, it says a disciple, and you notice it says a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Be with Christ. Be alongside Christ. Let Christ live out in you. Christ said, I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. God, and that was quoted earlier. What a great statement. If Christ chooses to please God always, so ought we. Paul said, we make it our aim to please Him. Imagine some of you could be saying, help, I'm not like Christ. And to set the record straight, neither am I. We're all there, right? But the sweet thing is, you know, what does God say about us in that? What does union with Christ, being in Christ, say about us? The positional sanctification says God looks at us and says what? You're in Christ. You look like Christ. You are Christ. You're in my beloved Son. Even though you and I don't see ourselves that way, God sees us that way. That's our position. That's our standing before God. We are little Christ, which is what Christian means. 2 Corinthians 5.17-21, we won't read through the whole thing, you're familiar with it. It says, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. We are in Christ. Everything is brand new. God made us new. God made us in Christ. God sees us as Christ in His Son. Galatians 5 says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And so it's important for us to realize we have Christ. We are in Christ. God sees us in Christ. And we want to talk about how do we live out that? How do we grow in these qualities that are like Christ to be qualified to be a counselor? And it's a being issue, not putting all this stuff together. We talked, Ben and I together, talking about sanctification, talking about change. The importance of we need to love God, love people, live in certain ways. We talked about that whole thing of what does this look like in our life. You see it there. How I live, our active part of us, 
grows out of our positional, that passive part of us, sanctification in Christ. You know what the first thing is for you today as you go away from here in being a qualified biblical counselor? The first thing is to buy into progressive sanctification and say, you know what, I'm only growing and changing like the people I meet with. The expectation, I think Ben even said it, is that you don't go out of here today saying, bring on the counselees, I'm ready to tackle it. You say, wow, I've got a lot of changing myself to do. I've got a lot of counseling to me to give before I can give it to others. And I would encourage you not to put the word before in there, but to say, as I give it to others, I need to be giving it to myself. It's a concurrent ministry. My dad used to make this statement about this. He says, in counseling, sometimes your mouth says things your ears need to hear. And as we counsel others, what a great thing for us to be getting counsel and getting counsel even as we're digging into the Word. The first step in your progress of being a qualified biblical counselor is to pause and say, am I growing? Am I growing? And we're going to talk about these five things, but being a counselee first and growing is critical. Growing in the image of Christ. We minister from our identity. We don't want to start by saying, do I have everything it takes? Am I perfect? No, that's not the issue. In Christ, we are considered perfect by God. But do we have the identity we're in Christ? Our position in Christ by faith. We're adopted. We are righteous. We're called a saint. We're a child. We're loved. We're forgiven. Love responds in a number of different ways. It responds in fearing God. It responds by pursuing holiness. It responds by obedience and ministry. It responds in worship and service. Faith works through love, Galatians 5 said. And so progressive sanctification in our own life grows out of our standing in Christ, our identity in Christ. Let me pause a second and ask you the question, so what? So what? What difference does that make? What difference does our identity make in our qualification to be a biblical counselor? I think you know at least one of the answers. It makes all the difference in the world, right? But let me offer a couple of things. Number one, it offers a tremendous amount of confidence. You have a new credential. You have a new label. You have a new certification. You know, it was stated earlier, oftentimes we talk about not being counselors because you have to have letters after your name. But let me encourage you, you have a letter before your name, a phrase before your name, you're a saint. So you're ready to be a counselor. Has sort of a nice ring, doesn't it? St. Kent. St. Joel. We have a confidence because we have Christ in us. We have an authority. You don't speak on your own. You don't speak on your own name. It's not you that has to give the counsel and has to have the wisdom. You have the wisdom and authority of God to bring to the table and to talk to these people. It makes a radical difference that you can say, thus saith the Lord. And third, your identity makes the difference in the fact that you're secure in who you are as a believer and a counselor regardless of how the counselee responds. Do you know that? Regardless of the outcome, and I will tell you, it gets discouraging at times. You know that if you've done it at all. There are some times where people don't respond. There are some times where people don't like what you say. There have been very short situations where the first and last session were all in one session because they said, I'm done with you. And yet the encouraging thing is if we've modeled Christ, if we've spoken truth, we can have tremendous security that we're pleasing God.
I so appreciate what one counselor of years ago said. If you're giving out the Scripture, let me encourage you, you can't harm them. If you're giving them the Word, modeling Christ to them, you're not going to harm them. There's the security in knowing that you can bless them. And so... We want to go to this next statement. You've heard it a number of times. We don't want you to forget it. Regardless of where you are in your process, where you are in your life, where you are in ministry, where you are in credentialing, you are to be involved in biblical counseling. And you've probably already heard it a number of times that it doesn't make a difference whether you say, you know, we say you are involved in biblical soul care, biblical counseling. And I would just say this, you are. It's not a question of where. It's not a question of when. You are already. You've heard from a number. Ben talked about with your kids. You've heard at work. You've heard other things. You're giving counsel. The question is, are you giving biblical counsel? A number of verses talk about this in ministry. Okay, that isn't what I expected. Okay. Not sure where that is, but let's keep going and we'll... Let me go back. Let me give you three texts that aren't there, I guess. Maybe they are just added other things. According to these verses, who's to be involved in counseling? You see the first one, Galatians 6.1. You've heard the quote. Somebody read it earlier today. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Who is it? Those that are spiritual. Then it defines who the spiritual ones are. You know where this goes? It's talking about those. It reflects back on the fruit of the Spirit. Do you have the Spirit? Do you have the fruit of the Spirit? It's talking about living out those fruits. It's not talking about somebody that's a super saint. It's talking about somebody who's submissive to Christ, submissive to the Spirit. We already looked at Luke 6.40. I'm sorry, punched the button. Luke 6.40 says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. A disciple. Are you a disciple? I trust that we all are. We're all working in that training process. And then Galatians 6.2, it says, Bear one another's burdens. Do you have any one another's in your life? We all do, right? Can you add another scripture to that? 2 Corinthians 1 makes the statement. It talks about comfort those with the comfort. You know what it says? That you've received. The comfort that you've received, be ready to pass on to others, be a conduit. It was mentioned that part of our goal in counseling is that you start maybe in the counselee's chair, but then you move to the advocate's chair, and finally you move to the counselor's chair because our goal is that you're growing and changing to become a person who is giving out the truths that you've received. Somebody said even beggars can show where to find the bread. We're all there, right? We're all beggars, all looking for bread. So, let me give you a chart. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but let me summarize a couple of things. The essential qualities of those who are spiritual or those who qualified. Galatians 5 says, through the Spirit by faith, only faith working through love. You'll notice on this two side columns there, you'll notice a number of attributes. Both of them start with idolatry and lead down. On the left-hand side, you'll see they lead down, and all of those are statements about somebody and believing that they're qualified, but it's on the basis of self-sufficiency. Self-confidence, personal agenda, they love the world, power control, they have self-righteousness. There's a self-sufficiency, and they think they're qualified to being a counselor because of their self and their self-qualifications. The right-hand side has idolatry in a different way. 
goes to man's wisdom, but it has a fear of man. They doubt God's presence. They fear the outcomes. We would say there's an issue of self-doubt. Neither one of those is qualified. They need the faith working through love that comes by the Spirit. And you see the five character qualities there. Humility, love, character, meekness growing out of character, and compassion. There are confidence in the Holy Spirit and a commitment to God's Word that leads us to those qualities. So we want to go through these five. Let's just start. We'll start with humility. This is a great chart. It comes from Kent. This chart is a congreg—excuse uh, me, not congregational—a chronological development of the life of Christ. You'll notice as you go through the uh, column on the left there, it starts, and it starts with his birth, his coming, with self-denial. And Philippians two talks about that: who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but set aside himself, denied himself. His coming was a model of humility. His childhood was a model of humility and he submitted to his parents. You heard earlier today about as a student, as a youth, he was a student. He modeled humility to learn in his leadership. He modeled humility in his self-awareness. He understood who he was before God and let it flow out through him. In his life, he modeled humility in his service to men. He spent his whole life serving. It says he didn't come to be served, but to what? To serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Christ came to serve. He modeled that humility all the way through his life. came to model humility in his death. He suffered. And he sacrificed his very life. He died. In everything Christ did, he modeled humility. All with a sense of worship. And so Christ provides that challenge to us of humility. The first qualification for you to be working toward is to have a humility like Christ. It's not about the information, it's about our heart and our attitude. Humility is knowing who we are in the process. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 2. We're going to talk about this passage for a few minutes. A number of key statements grow out of this. 2 Timothy 2. I want us to start, it talks about starting in verse 24 to 26, and those are about the positives, but I want to start back at the beginning of this a bit in verse 22 and list out the negatives. It's talking about what not to be. Verse 22 starts and says, Now flee youthful lusts, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And then negatively again it says, But refuse foolish Ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. And then he starts to talk about what we ought to look like. But the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but instead be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. What a great picture of counseling. It's talking about the bondservant doing counseling to protect them, to draw them away from the Satan's domain and his involvement. It talks about a number of things, a number of qualities in humility. First, it starts with the negatives, the opposites. It says in verse 22, the youthful passions, we don't want to let ourselves get caught up. Youthful passions are the opposite of humility. 
In youthful passions, it's all about us. We desire that ease. We cut and run from doing the hard things. Being a soldier of the cross. Notice the different players in this whole process. You'll see four. You see God, servant. You see God. You see the counselee or the one who's to be corrected. And you see Satan. It's the whole picture of everybody involved in the counseling process. And talks about those youthful passions getting in the way of us humbly doing the work of God. But what does humility look like in this text? And it lists out a number of qualities. It says first, they pursue growth. There's a pursuit of growth in themselves. We need to be growing ourselves. We need to be changing ourselves. Being a counselee. We need to know our place. Our identity in Christ. Who are we? We are not the counselor. We're a conduit for the Holy Spirit in giving His counsel, His Word, His perfect Word. It says they need to be wise, but not wise in themselves, wise in Christ. Humility is modeled by the counselor not arguing. Your job is not to argue them into a change. If they're not convinced by the Spirit of God, you may have to step back. We don't fight with our counselees. We fight for them. We need to be teachable ourselves. Is it possible that maybe we don't have it all right? And we can bring something else that somebody else can bring to the table. We need to be kind. We need to be patient. Evidence of our humility in counseling is patience. We need to be able to teach. Being faithful students of the Word, we need to be gentle. And finally, we need to be able to correct. Able to correct. To offer some direction to say not only that's wrong, but here's how to go right. So let me ask you as we go through each of these qualities, why is humility important? If we're going to be a biblical counselor, why is humility so important? I would say a couple of reasons. Number one is because it demonstrates dependence on God. Your job as a biblical counselor is not to have all the answers, have all the systems, have it all down. Your job is to be dependent on God. To be dependent on God's power, that He's going to do the work, dependent on God's wisdom, to be dependent on God's promises, and that will result in confidence that God will give you the wisdom from Him, not from yourself. And it's important that we're humble to where we see our need of God first. Not only does humility drive us there, but we leave uh, our humility causes us to leave the results and outcome up to God, not to assume that we're the one that's all important in this. Notice verse 25 in this text. If perchance, if perhaps God may grant repentance, Paul says it might be possible that change won't take place. Are you prepared for that? Are you humble enough that it doesn't happen? Do you feel like that's going to make you look like a failure? Or are you willing to say the results are up to God and my dependence on Him, it's up to God to make the change in this person's life. So the first question is, how are you doing on humility? Second quality is love. Number of text. Matthew 22 says we need to love others as we already love ourselves. Love as Christ has loved us in John 13. Notice that in Deuteronomy 11, love worships and serves. John 3.16, famous verse, 1 Corinthians 13, love gives actively. Sum it up this way. Love is first motivated by the worship of God 
for the glory of God. It's others-focused, selfless giving for the eternal good of the other person. Let me go back through that. Love is motivated by the worship of God, directed toward the glory of God. It's others-focused. It's selfless giving. And it's for the other person's eternal good. Now that's a mouthful. There are times in your counseling, and maybe I'll just say this as an application, why this is important. There are times in your counseling where you may have to say hard things. Do you have their eternal good at heart? Or do you want them to like you? I mean, they're not always mutually exclusive, but there are times where as you talk to a counselor, you know what you're going to say is going to really hit the fan. Are you willing to say the tough thing in order to help them to move out of the place that they are? Let me say a second thing why this is important. If you're going to truly love them, are you willing to do the hard things? Are you willing to bring people into their lives? Are you willing to bring the authority of church in? Are you willing to bring other people that necessarily speak into their life to help them to not go the way they're going in order to spare them from the danger that they're headed toward? And so the question we're asking is, do you love them enough to give selflessly for their eternal good because God's more important than they are and than you are? Let me just give you this slide here. You're not going to be able to get it all down but uh, Dr. Street does this thing out of the fruit of the Spirit is love. And he talks about each of the fruits and how it shows love. Joy is love exhilarated. Peace is love at rest. Long-suffering is love on trial. And he goes down through it. It's a great thing. You can get it in the notes. The qualification, second qualification of being a biblical counselor is do you love the people you minister to? Do you love the people that God brings to you? Do you care enough about them to do the hard work, to put them ahead of yourself? Do you give sacrificially to them? Third qualification, third character quality is character or maturity that grows out of maturity. What we're talking about is that this involves growing and changing in personal pursuit of holiness and progressive sanctification. We've touched on it a bit before, but we want to highlight part of your character is that you're saying, wait a minute, I'm with you. I'm with you in the trenches. I have the same things to change. Or some of the very same things. I need to respond the same way. So humility leads to this character quality, that maturity. Maturity recognizes the foolishness of our own human wisdom and grows in biblical knowledge and wisdom and practice. Maturity recognizes that we don't have it all. That it's not up to us. That we have to be continually growing and changing as well. Paul said, keep a close watch. First Timothy 4, he said, keep a close watch, what? On yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Watch out. Galatians 6 says, talks about the fact that we need to be looking at ourselves first that we would be tempted. Romans 15, 14 said, Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. What are the qualifications Paul says are necessary to be a counselor? He says, you need to be taking on the Word. You have knowledge and the goodness, able to instruct others because what? You've been instructed. You've received instruction. One of the things, and I don't know if um, 
Yeah. What a great thing when you model that maturity that it generates ministry opportunities. We see it in the story of Naaman's maid in 2 Kings. How that she lived a life before God of humility and responsibility and uh, maturity and there's some character to where it was said, wait a minute, this is the gal that can help the general of this army because she had lived a life of responsibility. I want us to go through this text. 2 Peter 1, we spent some time, Pastor Daniel went through this. It says that all things have been granted to us that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him, Christ, who called us to His glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you can become partakers of His divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And then he goes on to say this, this, for this reason, make every effort. Make every effort to be maturing is what he's talking about. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, your virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And then he ends this way and he says, for if these qualities are yours and are What does it say next? Increasing. They keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. What a great statement. Are you maturing? Are you modeling the character of saying, I need to be growing and changing just like these people that are coming to me? Are you humbly receiving the truth and working on change as God points out things to you? So let me ask you the question, why is this character quality so important? I think we all know it, but let me just highlight a couple of things. Number one, we need a reservoir to speak out of. We need a reservoir of truth that has affected us in our life to where people would say, wow, you do get it. You understand. You have lived this. You understand what it takes to change like you're telling me to do. You're genuine. You're living it in your life. It gives us a reservoir to speak out of. Secondly, it gives us credibility before the counselee. Credibility, they say you're on the same path. You can talk from experience. And third, it gives us confidence before God. I don't know about you, but that sounds really, it stands out to me as very, very important because I want to make sure I honor God. I want to make sure that the power of God is being used in my communication to others. I want to please Him. And when I'm seeking to please Him, it gives me a confidence that it's not about me. It's not just about my words. And so this growing and changing, this character and maturity Making every effort is so important for us to have that reservoir, that credibility, and that confidence. Number four, out of the character grows, and that maturity grows, meekness. You'll see that quote from Vine's Dictionary, and I love this, the last part of it. We take all of the dealings of God as good without disputing or resisting meekness is one of those words where we don't often understand, but it has a great definition here. And that's it. it's about God, chiefly toward God, but we receive everything that God gives us. And we don't fuss about it. We don't whine about it. He doesn't say that word, but that's what I would say. We don't resist what God's doing. We're willing to receive it from His hand and say, that's okay. We don't fuss at God and what He chooses to do. This quality produces in us a lifestyle of love without personal rights and demands. 
instead of a lifestyle of just episodic experiences where we surrender every so often under a certain time when things are going well or a circumstance or events. It's without disputing. It's without resisting all the time. Esther's a great picture of this in the Scripture. The abuse victim who saved a nation. What a great life. What a great character. That meekness. Two things stand out and why this is important. It is one we need to model to our counselees that we are living in that meekness that we're expecting of them, that God expects of them as they respond to trial. You cannot point the sufferer to the sovereign goodness of God if you're not personally embracing that comforter, that character in your own life. We're not saying that you say, get over it. We're saying that is tough. And we're saying there's some tough things in our life and I don't like them and they hurt. But it's okay because God's in charge. A second application would be just to encourage you, you'll not last in soul care if you're not willing to suffer and be mistreated if you're not growing in meekness. Because not everyone that meets with you is going to be excited about you or what you say. Not everyone is going to think you're the best. Counseling doesn't always go the way we want. And that's not to discourage you. It's not to scare you. It's to say we need to be realistic and we need to be willing to respond in meekness whatever comes. Number five, compassion. <clears throat> Turn with me to Matthew 9. It has a great picture Matthew 9, 36 to 38. Matthew 9, 36 to 38 tells us about the one who modeled compassion for us. It's Christ. <clears throat> it says, In seeing the multitudes, He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Do you ever notice that? Don't our counselors come that way to us? They don't look like they have a clue in the world about what life's about, how to handle life, how to deal with this. And that's why they're many times coming, from us, coming to us, and that's not meant as a derogative statement to them. They're struggling. It talks about Christ having compassion, distress, downcast. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plenteous, the workers are few. Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. That compassion that says, do something. Interesting enough, one commentator, one pastor said, in answer to that prayer, Christ thrusts out the disciples. Christ isn't just saying pray for others to do it. He's saying be willing to do it yourself. Be that compassionate counselor yourself. Compassion is being moved or motivated by tender concern for neglected souls, the disenfranchised, the hurting Kent said earlier that the messier he gets, the more he gets excited about it. I don't know that I'm there, but that's a godly compassion. Are you willing to get messed up in order to meet with your counselees? Are you willing to get caught up in their problem? Are you willing to suffer with them a bit in that? Do you ever weep with your counselees? Someone talked about just being quiet in session sometimes you just need to be quiet and say I, I don't know what to say that sounds horrible 
It sounds so difficult. First Peter 3 says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. <clears throat> Do you want a blessing? Do you want a blessing on your counseling? Demonstrate that sympathy, that tender heart to be with your counseling in the midst of their struggles. So I'd ask you on this one as well, why is this so important? Why is it so important that a biblical counselor demonstrates the quality of compassion? It's because your counselees need to see that you're a real person with real needs and real hurts. Just like they're real people with real needs and real hurts. They need to see a compassion that feels their pain, is tender, is soft. They don't want clinical. They don't want sterile. They don't want distant. They don't want formal. They don't want cold. They need somebody that comes alongside them and feels where they're at. That's exactly what Christ did, right? He came to earth in order to get mucked up just like we are in order to pull us out of the muck. So as we close, and I think there's the model of the church, we're just going to pass on that. Let me just ask you, as we're wrapping up our weekend together, let me just wrap up this section and ask you, so how are you doing on these five? We're not talking about do you have all the knowledge? Do you have all the wisdom? you have it all down? We're asking... Who are you in your character, in your person? And let me encourage you to start, not with the negative, but to say, you know what? Is there one of these five character qualities that maybe you can celebrate that God has done a neat work in your life? Would you say, wow, God has really been a work in me. God has taken me through some trials so that I can be more compassionate or God has really shown me some situations and it's really humbled me to realize how really arrogant I've been. Or maybe somebody has loved me in a way that has just amplified what love looks like and it's really grown me. Maybe it's maturity, maybe it's meekness. Is there one of these that you might celebrate? God has really worked on me. Can you start there? Can you thank God for loving you enough to chase you down and to build the quality of Christ in you? Then secondly, is there one of these God would be calling you to strengthen? Maybe more than getting all your notes organized and getting ready with information, maybe God is calling you to change some character. Is there one of them God would ask you, God would be pointing at and saying, wow, I'd really like you to be different in this area or grow in this area to where you can really be more connected with your counselees. Well, at the end of the weekend, let me give you a wrap-up for the whole thing. Can I encourage you, just a very practical step, maybe Kent's going to touch on this too, you've gotten a lot of information. Please don't feel overwhelmed. What we often tell our folks through some of the counseling conferences is take the highlights, review those, just pick one to start on. Whether it's a study, whether it's a character change, something like that, 
break it down and let God just grow you. One thing, become a counselee to Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that Christ modeled these characters, qualities to us in such a rich way. Help us to focus on who we are in Christ and let Him live out in us in a way that it would love the people we bump into and rub shoulders with. Help us to celebrate what You've done in us, how You've grown us in Christ. Help us to passionately desire to be more like Him as He uses in ministry. In His name we ask it. Amen.